we think that the time has really come when services businesses have to focus on creating outcomes for clients and really pricing and creating commercial relationships with their clients that are based on outcomes as opposed to the traditional model which has been more input focused. So when we think about Recognize, we're really focused on building a set of services winners, services company winners that are focused on these new models, um, IP embedded uh, with services, focused on the future of work and focused on uh, outcome-based models. Hi, welcome to Forbes India's The Daily Tech Conversation, where we bring you insights from tech entrepreneurs, CXOs, and investors from around the world whose work has a bearing on India. I'm Hariyarakli, and today I bring you the first of what I hope will be a series of exclusive and insightful conversations on the big picture with some of the biggest leaders in technology. And my guest today is Francisco de Souza, co-founder and former CEO of Cognizant Technology Solutions. In 2020, after more than 25 years at Cognizant, Francisco stepped back from the IT services giant that he helped found and build, and he's now looking ahead at his next innings as co-founder and managing partner at Recognize, a US-based private equity firm that will focus on a new generation of deep intellectual property-led technology services ventures. At Recognize, Francisco has teamed up with Charles Phillips, former CEO and chairman of Infor and former president of Oracle, and David Wasserman, former partner at Clayton, Duvillier and Rice, leading their technology and services vertical. The firm has raised $1.25 billion for its first fund and has already made some investments in companies that Francisco believes will be among the winners in the tech services arena of the future, bringing sophisticated domain knowledge and IP to the game and focusing on real outcomes for their customers. Welcome to the big picture. Uh, Frank, uh, welcome to this uh, conversation. Fantastic to have you with us uh, today. Uh, I think there's plenty of news at your end and uh, exciting uh, in many different ways for the tech industry as well as uh, uh, folks in the tech ecosystem from startups to enterprises. Uh, before we get into that, uh, maybe uh, you could tell us a little bit about uh, what uh, you've been doing, what you've been thinking about over the last uh, 12 odd months. Uh, since the time that you stepped back from you know, day-to-day supervision of Cognizant to uh, now uh, launching Recognize uh, with your partners. Harry, uh, thanks for having me um, <clears throat> on, your, on your show. I really appreciate it. Um, and it's great to talk to you again. Um, you know, it's been, a, it's been a really interesting 12 months uh, or so. Um, a lot's been going on. Uh, obviously, a lot of my time in the last 12 months uh, has been spent on getting recognized um, off the ground, uh, but equally, um, you know, uh, doing it in the middle of a pandemic, uh, dealing with all of the issues uh, that the pandemic raised for all of us, both at a personal level and at a professional level, um, uh, thinking through from the, the boards that I sit on, uh, GE and MongoDB, the implication of uh, both the pandemic, but this incredible uh, tech um, transformation, tech acceleration that we're seeing uh, has um, uh, has kept me busy. And then, of course, you know, uh, on the personal front, um, having a little bit of um, uh, unstructured time with the family after a long innings at Cognizant has also been a, um, a blessing in the last 12 months. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, recognize uh, when I first uh, heard about it. Uh, I, uh, to be honest, I was uh, quite excited about uh, wanting to know more about it and to, of course, to cover it uh, for Forbes India. Uh, uh, tell us a bit about that. I mean, take us through the conversations and the thinking and the brainstorming that uh, led to the formation of Recognize. Yeah, you know, um, uh, Hari, the if I can take you back when I when I left Cognizant, um, it wasn't with a clearly uh, formed view that uh, I was going to do um, recognize or uh, anything in even anything in the services industry um, as my next chapter. Uh, but you know what was very clear um, as uh, in those uh, final years that I was in Cognizant. Um, and it was actually the subject of the last conversation you and I had, uh, was that, you know, the the technology industry uh, was going through some very profound changes um, and it continues to do so. And as a result of that, the technology services industry is also going through some very profound changes. That, that was very clear to me. Um, I think we at Cognizant had been on the, on the front end, uh, front edge of that, whether it was uh, the acquisition of Trezetto, that we did uh, a few years ago, whether it was the uh, the move to digital coining of um, what we what we then were calling the snack stack, social mobile analytics and cloud, which is the precursor to digital. All of these things were, were, were very clear. And it was also very clear to me uh, that when the industry goes through periods of significant transition like this, that a new generation, almost inevitably, if you look back in history, a new generation of services winners emerged. Um, and that's been a pattern that's repeated itself. Um, and, you know, as I took time over the last few months to think about my next chapter, um, it was those trends and the, this recognition that there's this uh, opportunity for tremendous um, disruption and tremendous innovation in tech services uh, that led me to um, getting together with my partners to form Recognize. Hmm. Uh, on this uh now, from your vantage point of view, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what you called uh, these profound changes. Of course, everyone talks about uh, AI these days and maybe even Web3 and things like that. And certainly the pandemic accelerated, uh, especially on the enterprise side, uh, uh, people embracing technology a lot more on the digital front and so on. To your mind, what are these uh, big changes that are happening today? I think... Um um, you know, Hari, we can spend a lot of time um, <clears throat> talking about individual technologies, whether it's, you know, the ones you mentioned, AI, ML, and Web3, and, and so on and so forth. Um, and each of those, frankly, in their own right, are um, very profound, very important um, technologies and te- uh, technological evolutions. Um, and by the way, I think in the case of Web3, not only is Web3 a technological evolution, it is a, uh, in my mind, a socioeconomic transformation as well. But if we put that aside, um, the, the bigger picture here is that um, we are living through, in the past five years, we have been living through a period of innovation at a profound pace, innovation at a pace that we've never experienced before uh, in in human history, frankly. Um, the rate of innovation is is... Uh, breathtaking. And for global enterprises that need to uh, take this innovation, 
that is coming out of places in Silicon Valley and Seattle and so on, and implement in their um, uh, to create business value for their enterprise. Um, it's a particularly challenging time because you have this tremendous uh, amount of innovation happening. You have uh, a acceleration in um, the need to deploy that that innovation. You have um, the, the pace of innovation has also led, in my mind, to uh, significant fragmentation in the technology stacks that enterprises need to deploy. Um, and, and therefore, the need for specialization uh, has become um, paramount. So, you know, you have accelerating innovation, you've got um, speed to deploy, you've got increased specialization and, and significant fragmentation of technology. You put all of that together, and what it says is that the technology services industry uh, needs to come up with new models. Um, it's no longer enough to try to uh, rely on the models of the past to address this uh, environment. And that's the opportunity that we see. We see the opportunity to um, at recognize to work with the next generation of services winners um, to create new models, new ways to deliver uh, technology services that respond uh, to these um, trends that I talked about. So that, um, and of course, to work with the new generation of entrepreneurs uh, who are going to lead the way uh, in these in these new models. Mm. Uh, think aloud, if you will, about uh, this this point. In fact, it's going to be my que next question. So in the context of these uh, sort of cutting across uh, industries and so on, the, the big picture changes, what is uh, the opportunity that you see for Recognize? Yeah, look, I think at the, at, uh, Hari, at the, big, at the big picture level, it's, it's this, you know, first of all, um, if, you, if you go back um, many years, the, the services industry was largely a, a, a people-focused um, industry. And I think that will continue, but more and more, um, the first big change we see, of, and therefore big opportunity we see, is the ability, or the, or the not ability, the necessity, I would say, to embed uh, significant, significant amounts of intellectual property into services businesses. And that intellectual property can take the form of software, it can take the form of data, it can take the form of algorithms, um, and other kinds of IP, which get embedded into um, the, uh, the these new this new generation of software businesses. So the first is you know we see um, you know I talked about the the big trends, the trends of innovation, the trends of specialization, the trends of uh, fragmentation, and the trend of speed. When you when you look at that and say well what do those four trends mean for the next generation of services winners? The first is the next generation of services winners are going to have far more IP embedded. Into the uh, into the company than perhaps has ever been the case in the past. Um, the second thing I think that we're going to see significantly is that the model um, of um, managing people is is going to change. The pandemic has changed. You know, we call it the future of work. The pandemic has changed the relationship between employees and employers. Um, that I think that relationship will uh, evolve. Um, and has been accelerated dramatically by the uh, by the pandemic. So 
you know, people are looking for greater control over what they do. People are employees. This is employees are looking for greater control over uh, the time they spend, uh, the, the the types of work that they do. So we see um, kind of this future of work as a second big theme or big trend influencing and impacting the services industry. Um, and then lastly, you know, um, this has been a trend that's been going on for quite some time in the services industry, but um, we, we think that the time has really come when services businesses have to focus on um, creating outcomes for clients and really pricing and um, um, creating commercial relationships with their clients that are based on outcomes as opposed to the traditional model, which has been more input focused. So when we think about Recognize, we're really focused on building a set of services winners, services company winners that are focused on these new models, um, IP embedded uh, with services, focused on the future of work and focused on uh, outcome-based models. And if I can just uh, bring that full circle, Hari, the, the team, the founding team at, at Recognize that we put together Hmm. Um, comes with experience in all these areas. We put the team together very carefully because we wanted people who had who represented a breadth of experiences to be able to um, uh, to propel this next generation of services winners. You know, when you look at tech services and the tech services space, the tech services space is three times the size of the software space, hmm. um, but yet has only attracted a third of the private equity capital compared to the, um, the software space. So it's a tremendously large um, opportunity. And that's one of the reasons we're so excited about uh, Recognize. Yeah, uh, so on, the, on that point, uh, tell us a bit more about uh, how you all came to start uh, Recognize. How did you and Charles and uh, David, uh, uh, do you recall the first time that you all met or you all met individually. Uh, if there's a story there, tell us that as well. Uh, and <laughs> and yeah, also talk a little bit about uh, the uh, mutually exclusive, uh, collectively exhaustive strengths that you may all bring together. Sure, it's a you know. So the the um, if you if you look at the co the four four of us that co-founded Recognize, um, Raj Mehta and I had worked together at at Cognizant for. Uh, for many, many years, decades. Um, and so we knew each other very well. Um, we'd, uh, we'd been in some ways co-conspirators in, in building Cognizant. Um, and, you know, we are, we both come from, uh, you know, you can say the traditional services uh, background, traditional services industry, but, you know, the two of us get fast growth in the services space. We understand how to identify talent, how to build organizations, how to um, identify new market opportunities in the services space and um, and scale businesses quickly. Um, that's what we did uh, over and over again uh, during the time that we were at Cognizant um, for, you know, I was there 26 years. I think Raj was there about 24 or 23 of those years. Um, you know, um, the 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 rest of us it was um, you know David and I David Wasserman and I uh, have known each other for many many years um, and my first meeting with David in the context of of recognize wasn't really obviously in the context of of doing something together um, I I called David a few, uh, several months 
months ago um, because he's somebody that I truly respect as an investor in um, in tech services. David, uh, while he was at CDNR, um, has had been involved in uh, several uh, technology and business services deals, uh, going back to um, a company called Covansis um, many years ago that um, he had been uh, involved with, uh, which which CDNR acquired and then later sold. Uh, more recently, he had been involved in um, buying and later selling a business called Transact, and most recently, um, Capco. Uh, these were deals that he had done at CDNR. So somebody that I had known, somebody that I had a lot of respect for as an investor. And my initial reason to reach out to David was because I just wanted to, uh, as I was leaving Cognizant, wanted to understand a little bit more about what was happening in private equity, what was going on in the industry, um, <clears throat> and whether the the industry um, was um, really focused on technology services um, as a space. And I had asked David for a half an hour time slot, uh, and we we got together. Um, and you know what was initially supposed to be a half an hour quick catch up with David over a cup of coffee. Uh, turned into a two and a half hour meeting uh, where uh, I was really surprised that David was seeing the same trends that I was in tech services. Um, but from an investor's vantage point, I was I had seen these trends from an operator standpoint. Um, and I would say that that meeting with David was probably uh, the genesis of of recognize. Um, as we look back on it now, he and I got very excited over this, you know, two and a half hour conversation. Uh, and, um, you know, I went home uh, after that meeting, I called Raj and I said, listen, Raj, you know, uh, I just met David. You know, he's, as from an investor standpoint, seems really interested in and excited about the opportunity in tech services. Um, maybe there's an opportunity here. Uh, and then, you know, over the subsequent months, we, um, as we shaped this a little bit, uh, it became very clear to us that, as I said a minute ago, Hari, that the next generation of tech services winners uh, was going to have significant amounts of software and intellectual property embedded in the, in the business. And I felt it was important to have somebody on the team that um, came from the traditional um, software world. Um, but also really understood uh, services well. And Charles Phillips, um, who is our fourth partner and co-founder, is somebody that I had known for many years. Um, um, Charles and I first got to know each other when Charles was president of Oracle and uh, Cognizant was a big Oracle partner. And um, subsequently, Charles and I served on an advisory board together and so on. And he was just in the process of uh, wrapping up his um, engagement as CEO of Infor, uh, having sold the business. So I called Charles and um, we got together, um, Charles, David, uh, Raj and myself. And through that process, the four of us came together. The, the Misi skill set, if you will, is, look, um, you know, Raj and I are, uh, Raj, Charles and I, our operators. Um, uh, and by the way, that's one of the interesting things about Recognize is that it, the founders are more, we have more operators than we have investors 
uh, in the founding team. Uh, three of us are operators. One is an investor, although we are obviously all think of ourselves as operators and investors. Um, Charles has deep, deep, deep experience in uh, the software industry, um, but also at Oracle and at Infor ran services businesses within those companies. Um, Raj and I have you know, many years of uh, services experience, uh, having built and grown Cognizant, uh, but also have software experience from acquisitions that we did like Trezetto and so on. Um, and then David is the investor amongst the four of us who really understands the space having done, you know, these marquee deals like Covances and um, uh, more recently Transact and um, Capco. Okay. Uh, in, in practice, uh, what will uh, recognize uh, work like? Will you be uh, more like a PE firm uh, or a, or a more conventional VC firm, uh, something of a hybrid. What's what's the thinking? You know the um, the the fund, the recognized fund, is structured like a private equity uh, fund. But you know, I think if you look at our investments, they they look more like uh, growth equity. Um, we are looking at recognized to invest in. Uh, a small number of, of platforms, a small number of companies, we're thinking somewhere in the range of eight to 10, um, in the tech services industry, which is, as you know, a very large industry. And we want to really um, focus on a small number of, of investments so that we can really work deeply with co-founders and with management teams of these businesses um, to bring to them uh, not just the capital that we we can bring to the table, uh, but also the um, the operating uh, experience and and expertise that uh, we have gained from from many collectively many decades uh, in the industry. Uh, so that's kind of the focus of recognize. Now, having said that, um, we also uh, very very selectively will do what we call studio investments. And for us, studio investments are a little bit like startups that in, in promising areas where we feel that there aren't existing businesses of scale that we can invest in using a, a, the, the more traditional growth equity um, or private equity model. So in general, we are structured like a private equity firm um, thinking of ourselves more like growth equity players. And from time to time, we will do studio investments that um, in very promising areas where we think that um, the risk reward is is justified and there isn't a, uh, an existing business that we can invest in. Hmm. So with the more conventional growth equity uh... Uh, on that side, I would imagine you would want to invest at least, uh, I don't know, upwards of $50 million, uh, especially if it's in the US slash Silicon Valley kind of market. Uh, give us a couple of examples uh, of early investments that you have already made or you're uh, considering. Uh, and maybe on the studio investments side as well, uh, if there are any interesting uh, companies that you've come across that you've invested in, uh, tell us about that as well. Absolutely, Harry. So, um, you're right, you know, on the growth equity side, uh, we're typically focused on writing checks that are somewhere in the 50 to up to $250 million range. 
uh, that's our sweet spot. Um, we want you know to be able to deploy, as I said, uh, a significant amount of capital, but but perhaps more importantly, a significant amount of our time, so that uh, we can have impact on the businesses that we um, that we uh, invest in. The uh, we, the comp- uh, recognize has made um, four investments uh, so far. The first is uh, Ciclum, which is a digital engineering firm. Uh, that has um, significant client base in East, in Western Europe, uh, and a significant delivery capability in Eastern Europe. So um, the, the company is um, uh, about uh, um, three thousand, over three thousand engineers at this point, and um, significant, uh, as I said, presence in in Eastern Europe. So. Uh, we're very excited about that. I uh, I'm co-chair. I'm chair of the board of um, of Cyclum. The second um, uh, business that we've invested in is called Spring ML. Uh, Spring ML is a um, Google Cloud focused AI ML uh, player that is um, you know building advanced data analytics AI ML uh, solutions for clients. Uh, largely focused on using the Google Cloud as the underlying platform. Um, and then and Raj Mehta is the, the chair of the board of, um, uh, of Spring ML. And then we've invested in um, a business called AST. Uh, AST is a, um, an Oracle-focused player that uh, helps clients implement Oracle um, uh, package, the, the Oracle suite, and also to migrate uh, to the Oracle cloud. And um, Charles Phillips is the chair of, of um, AST. And, and th- the first, those three that I just mentioned, Cyclum, Spring ML, and AST, uh, those are, um, are you know, in our traditional private equity, growth equity model uh, investments. The last um, investment that we've made is in a business called Torque. And Torque is a, a studio investment. Uh, we're really excited about uh, Torque. Um, and Torque is a marketplace for technology freelancers and gig workers. And what we're trying to do is build a platform to be able to bring the tech gig workers and freelancers. Uh, to the enterprise. So what we're trying to do is build an enterprise-grade service so that uh, the largest enterprises in the world can securely and in a way that they can manage, um, take advantage of this new emerging future of work uh, and the incredible pool of technology freelancers and gig workers that exists around the world. So these are this is our portfolio right now. Um, for you know really good businesses that we're very excited about uh and uh, you know more to come mm. very interesting uh and, and if you will permit me a slightly longish uh, question uh you know on the uh, enterprise side uh, today uh, many companies uh, technology service uh, leaders including cognizant are talking about helping their clients uh, get to the next level of evolution of how uh, their clients can take advantage of the cloud in the sense that 
the initial point of getting onto the cloud is an infrastructure play, but now uh, having gotten onto the cloud, you can take advantage of the much more uh, advanced technologies uh, and the advantage of the cloud itself to build out some kind of a broader ecosystem uh, that would in turn benefit their end customers. So I was just thinking, uh, in the world of recognize, uh, is there a parallel in terms of how you and Raj and Charles and David can take your very deep industry connects and your several collective decades of experience and help your portfolio entrepreneurs to build some kind of an ecosystem that is, you know, uh, bigger than what those companies could individually offer their customers. Yeah, it's it's a hurry. Uh, it's a really interesting. Um, it's it's a it's a really interesting point and a, and certainly something that's on our mind. So. Um, it's it's still relatively early days for recognize, but the um, the type of ecosystem that you just described and the type of ecosystem that uh, we see emerging is is very very much on our on our radar at recognize uh, from a couple of different perspectives. Um, when when we start with each of our individual companies um, and you look at their market opportunities in its in their own rights, their own swim lanes, if you will. They each have the opportunity to take advantage of this ecosystem that you've described and building it out within their own swim lanes. So as an example, SpringML uh, in data and AI uh, and on the Google Cloud, um, they have started to build out a very rich ecosystem of those capabilities um, across all the industries that Google serves um, across uh, a, a broad range of functional areas. Um, and increasingly now extending that to multiple players uh, in, in the industry. But we also see an opportunity, uh, Hari, and I think this is what you were alluding to, to, uh, to foster collaboration across the recognized group of companies. And we see this in, in multiple different uh, um, um, areas. Uh, one is the area that you described, which is, you know, can the recognized companies collectively come together, uh, together with uh, you know relationships and experience that the founders of recognized bring to the table to create something that even that each of these companies would would individually not be able to um, to address. So one example would be uh, both um, that we are already seeing emerging. For example, is that both Spring ML and um, AST uh, have uh, a strong presence in serving um, state and local governments in the United States. Um, but they both operate in, in very different parts of the, of the state and local government ecosystem. By bringing these two companies together and bringing uh, to bear relationships that we have and people that we know and our knowledge of, of that marketplace, um, we think that by bringing the capabilities of Spring ML and ASD together in state and local government, uh, we might be able to create an ecosystem there that neither Spring ML nor ASD individually would have been able to, um, uh, to tap in the past. Um, but the other way that we're, we're focusing on the ecosystem is in, um, in some of the enablers to make our company successful. 
So if you think about uh, services businesses today, one of the perhaps most uh, critical things that services businesses uh, deal with is access to talent, trying to um, uh, attract, uh, retain, attract, recruit, and retain uh, the best talent in the world. And so we have a whole series of initiatives underway that we're developing and recognize to try to say, you know, how can we access the best talent in the world uh, on behalf of all of our clients uh, and get them access to the talent pools around the world, uh, both traditional talent pools, but also non-traditional talent pools uh, in ways that they may not be able to access uh, individually given their uh, respective size, scale, and and market focus. In 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 the context of uh, the new generation of technology services uh, companies that you are focusing on with uh, deep tech IP uh, and domain expertise, does that also imply that the markets that you'll need to focus on uh, will have to be the markets that can afford these services? which I would, I, I would imagine that would obviously mean that you'll have to at least start to begin with, look at the advanced economies. Or are there any surprises in terms of uh, how even emerging economies might be promising markets? Yeah, you know, um, Hari, I, uh, you know, if I look at the, the businesses that we've invested in today, uh, to date, um, most of them uh, today in terms of end markets, that is customer markets, are are focused on the U.S. market, uh, and uh, in the case of Cyclum, quite significantly in Western Europe. Um, but I, do, I wouldn't, um, I think that's frankly just a, an outcome of um, uh, our recent, you know, the focus, almost coincidental for, um, uh, in the four deals we've done. I, I happen to think that uh, emerging markets uh, represent some of the most uh, significant opportunities to deploy technology uh, in very innovative ways and can become the, the, the testing ground uh, and deployment ground for um, new models because I find that developing markets are far more open to new models, new ideas, new ways of doing things. Um, and they may not be encumbered by um, uh, traditional ways of of engaging services players, traditional ways of thinking about things, uh, and so you know, I I would say that over time, um, <clears throat> it I it wouldn't it wouldn't be surprising to me if Recognizer's portfolio in, includes a number of companies that serve uh, developing markets, and of course, you know, all of our all of our businesses um, uh, today. Uh, and I would expect that almost all, if not all, going forward uh, will will have global um, footprints when it comes to tapping the the talent base around the world. Um, that's just a, a um, almost table stakes now in the in the tech services industry, as you know. Hmm. I, I was just going to uh, ask. I mean, with your connect uh, with India, uh, are your early portfolio companies already looking at? Uh, Establishing a presence in India to take advantage of the talent pool here, especially on the software front. Uh, absolutely, you know the well. Spring ML and AST already have significant presence in India, um, so we will continue to invest and grow 
um, Spring ML and um, AST's locations in India. Uh, and then um, uh, we are about to announce the launch of Cyclum uh, Cyclum's India operations. Um, we've already um, uh, hired the initial team and uh, we are off to the races uh, ramping up Cyclum in India. Uh, and then finally, Torque. Uh, India will be one of our primary focus areas in terms of uh, attracting talent to the to the top platform. So of the four businesses that we have invested in now, uh, India is an incredibly important part uh, already or will be uh, of the plans of each of these businesses. And, you know, we think that given our history and background and knowledge of operating in the country, that that's one of the things that we can bring to entrepreneurs is the ability to help them scale quickly, uh, but not just in India, uh, in, in many parts of the world where um, uh, which is particularly relevant given the global war for talent that we are experiencing in, in tech today. With, uh, you said that uh, earlier on, you said that uh, the company was structured more along the lines of a PE uh, firm. Uh, so in that context, uh, what kind of uh, time frames, uh, what kind of uh, cycles uh, are you envisioning in terms of working with your portfolio companies uh, uh, would you be looking at the sort of traditional ways of exits from these companies in terms of uh, longer term uh, uh, outcomes? And of course, uh, on the startup uh, side of uh, uh, the business where you would look to back entrepreneurs who are building something really original, uh, there I would imagine you would work with them longer. How how are these things, uh, how do you think they'll all pan out? You know, Hari, um, the... Uh uh, the fund structure is um, uh, that uh, the recognized fund structure is one that is, you know, uh, a, a decade plus uh, kind of a fund. So we have the ability to, to be long term thinkers. All of us in, in at recognize as, as the founders, um, and perhaps I should start there, just that when we got together as founders, we said, you know, we want to build uh, businesses that create long term value. Um, and take long-term views with with our businesses, and so we we put the recognized fund structure together uh, to enable us to take take the long-term view. Um, and so we, you know, our posture is that we're going to do the right thing for our businesses, create value for our businesses. We will obviously, um, as investors, make appropriate decisions along the way about exits and so on and so forth. But but really, you know, the way that we've built the fund. We have the ability to invest for the long term, and um, uh, and you know we we even have the ability uh, working with our um, uh, with our investor base to say if something has to if we think there's an asset or a company that we want to hold beyond the uh, the term of the fund that we have the the ability to do that. So um, all of that is to say that uh, I think as a group of founders we like to think long term. And we've created the fund in a way that enables us to uh, to do that where it's appropriate um, and where it makes sense from the the perspective of the business. You know, in terms of uh, where technology is headed, I mean, one of the things that I was thinking about is on the enterprise front, um, uh, people are uh, more urgently embracing uh, technology across uh, different areas of their operations and so on. Uh, whereas uh, 
in terms of the individual tech user, while there is access to so much more sophisticated technology, there is also now uh, increasing uh, suspicion, if you will, of uh, uh, big technology companies and so on. Uh, so it's sort of interesting uh, way things seem to be uh, evolving. Uh, I was just wondering, if you step back and look at all of it, uh, to your mind, uh, uh, what's, what's happening here? It's a, you know, it's a, it's a very, very interesting um, question, Hari. One that we could, we might be able to spend an entire podcast just doing, you know, talking about that, uh, that topic. <clears throat> I think that I think you know, when you when you look, when you when you're in an industry, you know, looking back, um, there are lessons that you can learn from the past, uh, but equally there are things that you look back on and say. The future isn't going to be the same um, as as the as as history in these areas, and I think this area, in terms of the 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 potential dark side of technology, is one such area. I think that for for most of the history of technology, and I'm, when I say technology, I'm talking mostly about <clears throat> computer technology, information technology, software. Um, you know that 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 area of technology, the for for most of the history of of modern information technology, um, technology has largely been a force for good. Um, but I think the last five years have um, revealed a dark side of technology as well, as <clears throat> innovation has happened in areas like uh, AI and ML, um, as innovation has happened in. Uh, and we've seen the emergence of um, uh, social media. Um, we've seen the uh, emergence of um, weaponization of cyber. Um, you know, these are all areas that I think present a, a darker side of um, the potential of technology. Um, and that's not to say that on balance, the progress that we've seen and the innovation that we've seen is not a force for tremendous um, good for societies and humankind, but it does say that uh, the tech industry uh, and the tech services industry uh, perhaps need to develop uh, a different set of um, operating practices, guidelines, um, uh, self-regulation um, to protect um, uh, customers and their customers' customers uh, from the potential uh, dark side of of these technologies, and um, these are these are very difficult questions in in many cases, uh, but ones that I think the industry needs to step up to, uh, given you know uh, what the potential implications are. If you throw uh, the recognized story forward, uh, three years maybe or five years, uh, maybe five years is too long. Let's say three years. Uh, what would what would be the ideal sort of uh, picture from your point of view of the firm and your portfolio companies? Ari, you know, I would say that we we want to be uh, we want to be known as the 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 place where inspired entrepreneurs in tech services can come and find a place of like-minded operators. Uh, and investors can work with them to build truly spectacular businesses. So that's one leg of the stool. 
the second leg of the stool for us is that we want to be a place that um, is not just a force for building great businesses, but for uh, but that's a, a place where we build businesses in the right way. And what we mean by that is that we think that the tech services industry is one of the um, the most significant creators of high quality jobs in the world. And we want to be able to recognize, to find ways that we can steer those jobs to um, underrepresented um, parts of societies around the world so that we can be a force um, for good in the communities around the world where we operate. So that would be the second um, measure of success for me, which is, you know, building great businesses and being recognized as the place, no pun intended, being recognized as the place where inspired entrepreneurs can come. The second is being a force for good in the communities around the world uh, uh, where we operate, particularly in the area of job, of job creation. And the third is to be really um, uh, viewed by, by, the, by entrepreneurs and by CEOs of our portfolio companies. As, as a partner who brought more than just capital to the table, but helped them push the envelope on their thinking, uh, their development, uh, and really, you know, uh, the ability to create the next generation of uh, leadership teams in the services industry, much like we did at Cognizant, uh, where many of the Cognizant uh, team have gone on to uh, to run uh, services businesses and be CEOs and leaders in in their own right in uh, multiple places across the industry. Are there any points that uh, you think we should talk about that I didn't ask you about or that I not just know about? You know, Hari, maybe one thing which we could spend a minute on uh, is that you know, um, in in all the time that I was at Cognizant. The critical success factor for a business, a tech services, IT services business, was uh, how effectively you could generate demand. That is, could you put together uh, a set of services and solutions, um, and could you um, uh, build the, the commercial capability, the sales capability to get those out into the marketplace? I, I think in the next decade, the um, the, the, dynamic, the dynamic is going to shift to the, to the supply side, which is that the tech services winners of the future are going to be the ones that are able to attract and retain uh, the, the best team and create an environment and a culture within the company that, um, where that becomes the competitive advantage. Your competitive advantage will stem from your ability to create a, an environment where people can say, employees can say, look, this is a place where I can come, I can do my best work, I'm empowered, I am, um, I'm autonomous, I have a sense of purpose, and those will be the, the, the tech winners of the, of the next generation. All, all right, uh, excellent. Uh, truly insightful conversation, Frank. Thank you so much for generously making time for this, and I definitely hope to keep the conversation going. Absolutely. It's always great to talk to you. I really, I really enjoy it. That was Francisco D'Souza. That's it for this conversation. You can find all our podcasts at ForbesIndia.com and on your favorite podcast apps. I'm Hari Arakali. Thank you for listening.